Good morning, and uh, why don't we open up our Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's stand. We turn our pages to the chapter 1 in the Bibles. We stand in honor of our word giver, God Himself, who has a message for us every time we open it up. Starting verse 15. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services He rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of Your Word. The power of the Gospel. So powerful to wake us up, to regenerate us from the dead, to bring us to life. And then as we are brought to life, that we can pay heed to Your Word. And as we focus upon You, may we be able to take that Word and by the power of Your Spirit make our lives be adapted to what Your Word says and desire to be more and more pursuing You and being obedient to You. Thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. There's a dungeon in Rome. It's cold. It's dark. It's damp. There's a dim ray of light shining down from the opening at the top. And down at the bottom is a weathered, beaten Jewish man, kind of older by now. And uh, he's Paul of Tarsus. He's waiting his execution. And he didn't know it, but he was making an impact on world history. All he knew is he was near the end of his life here on earth as we know it. And everything that he had taught to many people were abandoning him. They were abandoning him like sailors on a ship that was sinking. Christianity seemed like it was sinking. It was going down. And suddenly he heard this noise from above and a man on a ladder is coming down. Guard had opened the hatch for him to to do that. Of course, the old man, Paul, he's squinting and it's dark in there. He can't see who it is and all of a sudden he hears a voice, Paul, Paul! Hey, Paul, are you there? I found you. I'm here. And boy, that's the best news that Paul could hear. Onesiphorus. He knew who it was by his voice. And all of a sudden, then he sees him. And um, You think of Onesiphorus. We just read about him right there in uh, verse 16. Onesiphorus actually has a meaning. Names have a meaning. It means to bring help. Isn't that a fitting name? Don't you like that? To bring help or profit. You see, God had this man for Paul. And, uh, of course, he had that name for a reason. God intervenes on those kind of things. So he recognizes this voice. And, boy, is it good to see him. Because you can imagine, uh, it's, it's been tough. And matter of fact, he's, he's there to refresh him. Physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, uh, just 
in every room that he could. And he probably had a bag with him that had maybe some grapes in it, maybe some cheese, and maybe some fresh bread in there. And uh, Paul hasn't really eaten much of anything. They don't give you anything worth uh, eating there as he has been laying there, sitting there in the excrement. I mean, I I make it very um, clear. This is not a, a... this is a reality, reality check. Uh, he just didn't have an easy way to go. But uh, Onesiphorus brought good news of the spread of the gospel all over the known world. Of course, Paul had so much to do with it. And so he refreshed him in, uh, in all avenues. And he could have taken the view of saying, hey, Paul's an apostle. Paul is so strong and he's rugged. And you know what? He doesn't need me. Who am I to go to the cell there and talk to him? I don't even have anything to say. I mean, who am I? And look at him. He's, he's strong. He's, he's, he's been in prison before and he's gone through all the sufferings. He's okay. You know, he's alright. He's strong. Yeah, but you know what? Everyone needs a ministry refreshment. And we know Jesus actually needed that too because He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and who did He pull along with Him to go there with Him? Peter, James, and John. The three apostles. And they were there to refresh Him. Of course, we know that they didn't do that great of a job for Him. But um, we come into a section today. If you're reading through there, you know, Paul's been saying, I'm not ashamed of... Uh, of this, I'm not ashamed of my chains, and and I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, God is able to guard me, and He has given me the ability to guard the truth. And all of a sudden, then you come into this uh, aspect of Phygelus and Hermogenes, and then the example of Onesiphorus. And say, now how does that fit in with where we've been in chapter one? We're closing out chapter one. And it's just like something just kind of thrown in there, and is, you know, you know, when you interpret scripture, you you have to read it in, in light of the context and where it's at and where it's going. And when you first read this, this is a this is where struggles come in. When whenever you're trying to prepare something, like, what what's going on? Why is this here? Is it just a tag on? Uh, it definitely has a meaning, and actually, uh, it does fit very well. And, of course, you would know that because it's God's Word. But you really have two groups here crystallizing. And that's really what Paul is doing as this is written. Um, He's already talked about, I am not ashamed. And then he talks about a group of people that are ashamed. They should be ashamed. It's a shame what they're doing. And so, um, that's what he's doing. He's taking the two groups. The ashamed and the not ashamed. Paul's the not ashamed. Timothy has a tendency maybe to be on the ashamed side. It's getting there. Paul is really concerned. Really concerned. Now, Timothy is not naturally courageous. I think we can identify with Timothy. There's a lot of people that uh, really are not courageous when it comes to time to be. And uh, public opinion sometimes can sway us. So uh, Paul makes it very clear in uh, our first chapter three times that he's actually telling Timothy to not be ashamed. If you um, were to back up, I think in verse 
8, Paul says, because of the gift that God has given you and the ministry that He has given you, therefore, because of that, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and or of me. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Christ and don't be ashamed of me and my sufferings. I know it doesn't look good to the world out there. It looks like I'm a failure. It looks like this whole thing is a, is a loss. It's not. He says, don't be ashamed of that, Timothy. Then in verse 12, Paul says, for this reason, because I'm a preacher, because I'm an apostle, because I'm a teacher, because I have eternal life and I've been given life and I have immortality to light through the Gospel. Because of that, because of the ministry God has given me, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Right? I'm not ashamed. Timothy, don't you be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And guess what? Here in verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains or my imprisonment. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. And I'm not ashamed. Onesiphorus is not ashamed. So don't you be ashamed. Sometimes the Gospel doesn't look too good, does it? Sometimes it doesn't look like the Gospel's moving on. Sometimes the church doesn't look too good, does it? Well, it sure is not going to look good to the world unless they've been drawn by God to see what truth is about. So, there's one group that Paul's talking about. And then, on the other hand, there's another group. And that's the ashamed. Now, these guys ran away. They deserted Paul. They hot-footed it out. They got away from Paul. And, you know, when the heat came on, when it was really turned up, they said, I can't do this. And these are the guys that, that Paul was counting on. Come on, you've got to be there. They deserted. They left. When the heat is turned up higher, will we be ashamed of the Gospel? When the heat is turned up higher, will we be unashamed of the chains of the Gospel? <laughs> will we be that way? Those are the two ways. Those are the two ways. You, you can't be in between there. It's one or the other. And so when the heat is on, that's whenever we can shine. We can glow. So, Paul commands Timothy. I mean, this is a command. He doesn't say, hey, I uh, hope you don't be ashamed. He commands him here to not be ashamed. And you know what? This is not easy. This, This Christian life. Would you guys say this Christian life is easy? It's hard. He said, boy, it'd be a lot easier just to get out. I'll just try it for a while and find out. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? A lot of internal pressure there. Uh, Timothy's in Ephesus at the time. Internal pressure coming in from uh, within. Uh, the church had gone corrupt. Uh, there were leaders there, um, teachers who had gone corrupt. They're bad leaders and they were full of sin. Because we know in Acts 20, Paul prophesied uh, like. Ten years ago, in the time of this writing here, in uh, Acts 20, he uh, met the Ephesians. And where is Paul pastoring at? Ephesus. In Acts 20, he says in verse 
29, I know that after my departure, after I leave here, and he's speaking with the Ephesian elders, savage wolves will come in among you. That's within the church. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, among your own selves, right inside the church at Ephesus, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Perverse, and sometimes you know people can identify those. Those are easy. But sometimes there are things not so discernible. And they might be offering all sorts of neat, cool things. It's perverse. It's, it, this is not the gospel. It's twisted. And he says, be on the alert. Remembering the night and day for a period of three years, I didn't cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God to the word of His grace which is able to build you up. So it's the Word of God and um, being sold out to that. So that's the kind of thing that was happening within the church. And you can count on it. After Paul left, that started happening. Paul knew that was happening. God breathed that to him. Uh, Also, on the outside, the heat is on. The persecution at this time was hot and heavy. This was at the time of Nero. There were um, different time periods during the Roman Empire before the church became uh, okay. Matter of fact, it became the world religion all of a sudden. But um, at this time, no. It's not a favorable thing to be a Christian because your life is at stake every day. I mean, you may not live past tomorrow. Timothy knows if he associates with the number one uh, man they want to get, Paul, and they got him, if he associates with him, his name is Mud. So are other people's. Paul knows that Timothy is very vulnerable. Timothy is really weak at this time while Paul is in this prison waiting to die. So Paul writes to Timothy and us today to strengthen him and us. Timothy is a young man. This old man has run his marathon and he sprinted at the very last to win that thing. And then he jogs back and meets Timothy. Timothy's way back in the past. And he says, come on, Timothy. You can do it. Get going. Come on. You can do it. You can finish this. This is Paul in his late 60s telling this to Timothy in the early 30s. Hey, you need to be strengthened. Now, will Timothy be unashamed of the Gospel and unashamed of the chains of Paul? Or will he be ashamed? That's the big question, isn't it? So now we, uh, we go to our text. You are aware. Timothy, you're aware. Uh, why was Timothy aware? Timothy is aware because he's been in Ephesus. That's where he's at now. Paul is telling him, I want you to come to me now, and by the way, there's going to be somebody that takes your place there. Um, you are aware because of all the persecution and a lot of people have left. So he says, 
All who are in Asia turned away from me. And we'll kind of get into that in real quickly here. Um, you're aware. Timothy, you're aware that they didn't want any part of me anymore. Timothy, you know they were close to us and, and now they're not. They didn't want to be identified with Him. Preached the Gospel. He preached the Gospel. He preached it right. He preached it true. Got into trouble. He was imprisoned. Timothy, you are aware of the fact. This is not a speculation here. This is something that he knows is true. This is a fact. That's the idea of this. And he mentions about Phygelus and Hermogenes. We'll get into that in a moment. But he tells the whole wide world. For back then, and then for us today, down through the years of the church, the history of the church, people heard about um, Phygelus and Hermogenes. People know that those are not favorable terms, not favorable names. They were... And now they're not. Because Paul mentions them in here, because the Holy Spirit told him to put them there. But he, you know, these are two guys and they're defectors. Maybe they were leaders in the church. Because Paul said that from among your own selves, people will rise up and they will be teaching things that are not uh, the truth of the gospel. Uh, they could have been uh, elders, pastors, and uh, in churches all. Uh, scattered throughout Asia Minor, around Ephesus and all that that whole area. If you look in Acts, you'll see the missionary journeys that Paul had through those towns. And some of those elders that he'd set up might be even these two guys right here. And we know the persecution was heavy. And it started, we know about Fox's Book of Martyrs and where you see the heroes of the faith and you see them willing to be burned up, have their heads cut off. And you know those stories. But there are, are many people who didn't go through persecution. They just backed off and got out of the scene and so they would uh, lay low and they could live their life out uh, normal and comfortable. Um, so Paul doesn't do what a lot of people would do and say, I'm not, I'm not going to mention their names. Um, out of, out of uh, love, I'm not going to mention the names. They need to be mentioned because they need to, people need to know that these guys right here are ones that you don't want to be following. Uh, let's just slide it under the carpet and just deny that it happened. Right? It has to be done. Paul says it. All who are in Asia, that's interesting, all. When you think of all, um, you think, well, that's anybody, everybody. But it's not all, every uh, man, woman, and child. Um, everybody went to the races last night. I mean, all of just city was there. Well, we know better than that. There must have been three or four who couldn't have shown up. They were sick or something. <laughs> and of course, when it talks about um, all dealing with salvation and such, we, we know that that can be a hyperbole. And there must have been a big number of them, though. I think we could say many in Asia. That's one way to interpret. Uh, another one would be to all of those who were in a position that could have helped Paul. That could very well be there, couldn't it? They could have helped Paul out and they didn't do it. All of those guys that were there, they, they left. 
Now, we don't necessarily know who these men are. Like we say, they could be ringleaders. Does it mean they left the faith? I don't know. We hear of uh, horror stories where people are just, um, I mean, on fire for the Lord. And for 20 years, um, they uh, are leading and teaching. And then all of a sudden, something just snaps. Something happens. They walk away from the faith. Matter of fact, they might even deny the Lord Himself. They might even say they are now atheists. Um, who knows? You know, you've heard of that. And then you begin to wonder, were they really ever Christians? Can you do Christian things and not be a Christian? Well, you look in the book of Hebrews, and that certainly could be true. Um, you never lose salvation, but there are people who appear to be and they can do all the right things. Lord, Lord, I did these things in Your name. Get away from me. I never knew You. So, anyway, I think these men, regardless of that, whether they wound up being Christians or not, sometimes you know we can't read that. I'm glad we don't have to make that judgment. But the fact of the matter is there was unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to Paul, unfaithful to the body of Christ. And just whenever he needed the support, he didn't get it from them. And of course, like he knew that this kind of thing would happen. He had told the people at Ephesus and probably other places too. And so how do we understand Paul's words here? You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away. The word literally in the Greek means to desert. Desert. Just left. Why would they do that? Well, I think being identified with Paul is a dead giveaway, first of all. We've been talking about that. Every reason to be put in prison. If you know that guy, hey, by the way, you're visiting here? Oh, well, you're going down there too. (laughs) You know, that can happen. All the things that are going in your mind and you're thinking, oh. You know, as soon as Paul was incarcerated this way and the Roman Empire brings on the persecution... It's like the people that were following him wanted nothing to do with him anymore. That's just hard to imagine. But that's what happened. They're, you know what? A lot of those people would be just like Peter. Peter, the night of the arrest of Jesus. Peter gets alone. And that's, that's a danger there. When you get alone, and then you start to thinking on your own outside of Scripture, it's okay to be alone but as long as you're thinking on the things of God and His truth and then letting Him work in your life, but you start thinking of things that don't agree with Scripture and you know better, but you start putting thoughts into your mind and thinking, guess what? This is what happened with Peter. And Jesus even told him what, that He'd do it. But Peter, standing by the fireside, and the little servant girl comes up to him and says, uh, Hey, you're one of them. You, you were with that man and got, got arrested, uh, that, that Jesus. I never knew the man. What? Peter, how can you say such a thing? You never knew the man for three and a half years? I mean, he was everything to you, and all of a sudden you're saying, I never knew him? Did Peter lose his salvation? Peter was true. He was he was a genuine had genuine faith. But he's ashamed. And you can be ashamed and, and uh look like a Christian and not lose your salvation because you never had it. You just you just go to hell. 
Because you never had Christ. Appeared to be that way. Or you can be a Christian and you can curse with an oath (laughs) but be very ashamed. My, whenever the Lord brought it to him that he had done what he did, which is pretty bad, he realized he was a coward. He repented of his sin. He cried. He wept because look what he did to the Lord in, in doing that. So his repentance was totally different than Judas. Judas' heart was not right. Judas didn't like the aspect of where he's at. It kind of came, to, but he wasn't sorry for his sin and all that he had been. But um, there definitely was a shame that that uh, Peter had. You know what? I think there were Christians who could have had influence there in Rome. I think they could have said something. Maybe they could have gone to there, maybe argued for him, for his case. And he is a Roman citizen. There he is. They didn't want to risk being implicated, being implicated, tied with Paul, maybe a a charge of sedition on them. Or some who lived there in Rome, you know, in, in the church, they had good business going, and you know, if I associate with him, if they see me over there visiting him, my whole business could just go down the tubes. So they played it safe. They protected themselves. It's not that they would say they probably prayed all the time and went to their Bible studies and and worship, but uh, that uh, they just cut off the relationship there with with Paul. Um, go to Second Timothy, uh, chapter one, verse eight. We're in Second Timothy, but verse eight. Remember this. I read this earlier. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, uh, His prisoner, not Rome's prisoner, but Jesus' prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. Why would I do that, Paul? Why would I want to join with you to suffer? It's according to the power of God. Oh, that I may know you, the hope, the resurrection and suffering. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Go to Mark 8.38. Remain true, Timothy. Jesus said, He talked about the cost of discipleship. Take up, forget yourself, take up the cross, follow Me. And then verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of Me and My words... See, He, he offended a lot of people, especially the religious people. And that was uh, very offensive to them. But he says, you know, that's when maybe some of the followers then might have become ashamed of him at the time. They're ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. That's ours today. The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When he comes back in glory, those people could be ashamed. In First Peter, here's what Peter wrote. You remember Peter? <laughs> the one who denied the Lord three times? And he writes in, in an epistle much later, filled with the Holy Spirit, in chapter 4, verse 16. 
But if anyone suffers as a Christian, however that may be, if it's because of your Christian testimony, he is not to be ashamed. What do you do with it? Glorify God in in His name. Then he brings forth the judgment thing. Uh, Romans chapter 116. This is a famous verse. My, the Gospel is powerful. You know this one, don't you? For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's so powerful. It will bring you up from the dead. The Gospel. The power. The dynamite of God's power. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 10. This is always good. Boy, this gets us through. How many times have you used this verse? I bet you've used it a lot. 9 and 10, 2 Corinthians 12. And He has said to me, this is after Paul implored the Lord three times that this thorn in the flesh, whatever it may be, that it would leave. Okay? And they didn't go. And Paul says, and He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That sounds like an oddity, doesn't it? Power, weakness. (laughs) How can that be? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness. If you said that to somebody out in the world, what are you crazy? I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. Not my sake, but Christ's sake. That's why you can say that. For when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. I think Paul got it, don't you? Where did he get it down? He was a contented man. You know, I have to wonder, this is where we go to what I call heartbreaking disloyalty. I have to wonder how many of these defectors are the very ones that Paul led to the Lord, that he discipled, that he prayed for them, and, uh, you know, they were with him by his side, and he taught them everything that they knew, giving them all sorts of uh, ideas what real eternal life is and this pain of ministry comes in just overwhelming Paul because these people were disloyal to him they were disloyal they owed their whole salvation to him that's humanly speaking we know it's all through God but Paul poured out his life to them spent years with them and now they turn on him, really, because the time got difficult. Things didn't go the way that they wanted and the way they think it ought to go, and they disappear very fast. Some get critical. They'll criticize everything. They'll start picking at you. And I'm, I'm saying this because either it's happened to you or it will happen to you. If you're a Christian, you're a servant. When you're a servant, guess what? It means you get stepped on. This is what's happened with Paul. You know, there are people that break your heart. Man. Heartbreakers. I'm not talking about a love affair. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ and they just they just split. 
you, you, you help feed them and nurture them and your heart is just broken. And Paul spent himself to get this message of Christ so that they'd be saved. So that they'd be built up. So they'd be edified. And now, they're even denying that they even know the man. <laughs> Just like they did that Jesus. Just like Peter <laughs> did that Jesus. Um, rumors, false accusations can come up. And they, you know, you can personally care for them. The church cares for them, but they don't care. Matter of fact, they'll get to a point where they don't even, they don't even talk to you. They will avoid you. This is what happened to Paul. This is simply just exactly what's happening there in Rome. So why would Paul expect any other kind of treatment when this happens? In 1 Corinthians 15.33, you guys know this verse, bad company corrupts good morals. What happened with some of these guys? I said, well, how's that tie in with this? Well, they get in with all of a sudden, rather than tying in with the people they need to be around, they need to be around godly people, they need to be around the church, they're hearing all the things that are going on out here, they start going to get, I guess you can say, company with them, and they run around with people who now don't have the truth, and... It's very important to, to grab that passage. Bad company corrupts good morals. You get around courageous people, and you know what? Courageousness is going to rub off on you. If you're around them, you're going to be encouraged, and you're going to get the right encouragement, and they're going to give you the Word of God. You get around the wrong people, people who might be churched people, but they are spineless people. And when it comes to really preaching, living out the Gospel... They just you can't tell them from the world, and all of a sudden these people who are now hanging out with them, not hanging out with people that are godly. Guess what happens to them? They get swept away with what they believe, what they think, what they feel, and it's courage. This is all dealing with Paul and these ones who are ashamed of him, and they wind up in the hall of shame. All he did was let the church know who they are. There are false teachers out there today, and I want to tell you, uh, it is a good thing to mention those people who are obviously just tearing up the truth and the faith. All over the radio, all over the TV, all over the Internet. They're just everywhere. And the crowds are flocking to them, I mean literally by the thousands. I'm not talking about just a little bit. I'm talking about tens of thousands. And if people don't warn those people, let's say they're sheep. If the shepherd never tells them of who that is, well, there are some people doing it. What, well, who are they? Well, I don't want to offend anybody, so I won't tell you. So that's why a lot of times uh, I, I will mention certain names. Paul does it all the time because he was a shepherd of those people and he doesn't want those people to come along and sweep them up. And when that happens, I take it personally. I have down through the years going back uh, 25 to 30 years ago where I have seen, uh, you know, you say, what are you talking about? Some of them don't even have any clue, any idea. But 
you, you could see you could see a pattern that was going on, and I can see what uh, Paul was talking about. It was the same thing that was going on, and there was defection, there was cowardice. People get together, they start talking, and gets uh, all sorts of uh, stories going that are not uh, true at all. They make it up, make it worse. Uh, Paul says, "Here's the hall of shame. It's uh, it's these two gentlemen right here, They're people who deny uh, what uh, the gospel's about." So Timothy, choose your group. Are you going to be ashamed of me and my chains? Or are you going to be unashamed? Are you going to join with me? So that's part one. That's verse. Uh, that's our verse eighteen, right? We go back to Second Timothy, and we are too many Timothys here. <laughs> That's verse fifteen. Okay, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turn away from me, among whom are five jealous Hermogenes. Now we go to the other side, the unashamed. What what do they do? Well, they seek out people in need. They look for those people who are in need. It says in verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. You see where all this is kind of hitting in now, where it ties in with the rest of uh, the chapter? Timothy knew about these guys, of course. They, they came from Ephesus there. And he, he also knew about Onesiphorus. You know, and knew about him. He knew him. He had to. He's from Ephesus. The household is there. They were godly people. The gospel had come to this household, the whole family. Matter of fact, if you look in chapter four of Second Timothy, verse nineteen, and it says, "Greet Prisca and Aquila." We know about those guys, right? Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Greet them, all of them, all of them in the household, that that whole family. Greet them. Tell them I said hi. And they are ones who stayed faithful, and um, that's what he's saying here. Oh, that God would grant mercy. What, what do you mean? All Christians have been granted mercy. I mean, you know, we we are not getting what we deserve, right? We should be getting judgment. We're not getting that. Um, they lived in Ephesus. They weren't ashamed of Paul. Um, because Onesiphorus is going there, and he wants them to get rewards at the, when it all comes down to the glory of Christ coming back. And he says, they were never ashamed of me. Matter of fact, Onesiphorus, he refreshed me, the family, look what they did. And I like what it says here, he often refreshed me. Often, not just once, but often. was not ashamed of my chains, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me. Wow. He came alongside him. He came eagerly. He refreshed him as a personal ministry that he had. And this whole imprisonment, whenever he says in chains, he was not ashamed of my chains of the imprisonment. Uh, and whenever he came to Rome, he searched eagerly. Uh, it means he really had to search him out. He searched all over the city of Rome. The city of the world at that time. And he searched him out. It means if he had had a Google map, it would have probably been a lot easier. <laughs> How often do we rely upon those, right? That's great. They didn't have that. 
So he has to ask questions and just walk all over the place. And, uh, you know, he comes from a big city himself, Ephesus, but here, this Rome is much bigger. And uh, so he came there specifically to minister to Paul, and he went out of his way to find him. He pursued this location down. Um, a refreshment ministry, first of all, just starts with your presence. Just being there. You know, Onesiphorus didn't say, Hey, Paul, you know, whenever you need me, just let me know. He knows that he needed him. He showed there. He demonstrated what is a selfless love. And that's what love is. It's being selfless. Uh, Self-sacrifice. Courage. Faithfulness. He's doing a... He seeks out Paul. Now, I think just his presence there just is speaking volumes to us here. Just being there. Uh, Here I am. I'm here to stand with you. Uh, associating with Paul, quite a quite a cost here it could be. You know, this is a severe crisis. What would happen is, you know, when a severe crisis happens to somebody, and say, well, you know what, I just don't know what to say. And you know what, that's the way it is with everybody. A lot of times you don't have a you don't know what to say. In fact, it might be the very same thing that somebody else said. <laughs> that's okay too. And sometimes it's just good. To be there and and look at them and you know just to be there. Sometimes not a word. Just being there means a, a lot. You think of Job's comforters; they did real well whenever they were just there with Job for days and days. Didn't say a thing, and soon as they started opening their mouth. All sorts of wickedness came out as they actually spoke some truths. <laughs> Real truth, but the thing is, it really wasn't what was needed at the time. But when they sat there in silence, it was the best that could have been done. So sometimes whenever people need you, they just need to know you're there. And it may not be physically there. They might need to just hear, hear a voice over the phone or just saying, hey, I'm with you, you know, we're with you. I don't know what else I can do. I'd sure be glad to. You know, I'm here. We're here. Uh, A lot of other people are here. Right? Doesn't that do wonders to know that people are behind you? We're here. We'll back you up. And uh, that's what a refreshing ministry um, that Onesiphorus had here in that he accepted Paul the way that he was in his chains. He wasn't ashamed of the chains, it says there. We're not ashamed of my chains. You know, he didn't cast out certain thoughts that are entering into his mind there. Um, first of all, he didn't ignore him, did he? doesn't ignore him, but he didn't say, hey, you know, Paul, you must be doing something wrong. If you just had enough, enough more faith, Paul, you wouldn't have to be here. Oh, boy, that's... That's encouraging. You ever had that kind of... You know, if you would have had faith, you'd be, you'd be doing okay now. You'd be out of prison here if you'd had faith. Doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, we are to believe in God and trust in Him. Believe me, that's exactly what He's doing. Look at Scripture, what He's saying here. And some people will say that. Or some people would say, Hey, Paul, you know what? you not... Um, the way you present the Gospel, it's not so tactful, you know? 
maybe you ought to take the, the heaviness off the sin thing. Maybe just, maybe don't mention sin. <laughs> maybe just be a little bit more cheerful, Paul, whenever you're, you know, I, I think he probably usually have the joy, the, the cheerfulness, uh, maybe in some senses, but what's wrong with you, Paul? I think you could maybe figure out a better way to say the gospel. You wouldn't have to be here. He didn't say that, does he? He uh, he just refreshing. I tell you what, I think we all need some refreshing. We need to be accepted, uh, even with our chains, whatever those chains are, without condemnation. How about the cheerfulness that he had? Well, it says he often refreshed me. Um. That's an idea of breathing in fresh air. A fresh breath. Fresh breath. He often was a fresh breath to me. He could have said, Oh man, Paul, it's bad out there. We don't have a chance. The church is dying. Persecution's happening, and this thing, it's, it's about done. And, you know, there are so many that are defecting from the faith. And, you know, Paul, I'm about ready to defect too. This this really, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah. No. No, he, he brings on cheerfulness. He refreshed him. I like this thought. Paul, you may be in chains, but the Word of God is not. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 9. He says, uh, remember Jesus Christ in verse 8, from the dead, descendant of David, remember Him, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, because of the gospel, even to imprisonment as a criminal. He's, he's seen as a criminal to the whole world. But the Word of God is not imprisoned. Don't you like that? Now, that's Paul. That's coming from there. I can imagine Onesiphorus saying that to him. Saying, hey Paul, you know what? You might be a prisoner here and God is uh, having you be quite the servant and the slave. But I want to tell you, you know that gospel? The same gospel you've been preaching? Well, I tell you what, it's not in prison. It's going. Going all over the place. Can you imagine that kind of joy? Uh, I think you reflected that kind of joy. And matter of fact, you can see in verse 18, the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You know what his services were that he gave at Ephesus? Onesiphorus. Yeah, he's doing the same thing. Uh, another thing a refreshing minister does, a minister servant, all of us, they focus on others. They really just focus on others. Um, Today, what do we have? The felt needs society. It's found most in the church. My needs need to be met. So they leave church because they haven't had their needs met and they're disappointed because others haven't met their need and so others will meet their needs. Felt needs. They make me feel good or they don't make me feel good. My needs are not fed. What's the problem with that? Where's their focus at? Right here. Focus on themselves. These felt needs that Phygelus and Hermogenes had, 
made them abandon somebody they could administer. You know what? We should be saying, Lord, use me to minister to others. Use me up. That's a that's the servant. That's the slave. Matter of fact, they're 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 content. They're satisfied because their needs are being met through the Lord Himself. They don't have to worry about that. They're content regardless of where they're at, what they're doing. He's put them in a place. And you can think of the the disciples whenever they were Jesus and He fed. Remember the five thousand, all the thousands. And it was a long day. You know, it was nearing the end of the day. It was going to be turning dark soon. They didn't have a place to go to feed all these thousands of people, and there was no. The villages couldn't have handled it. And so, Lord, what are we going to do? Should we? We need to send these people away. We're going to send them away. Yet. Jesus, what does he do? How about the five loaves and the two fish, and multiplies that? They just keep giving it out of their baskets. They just keep reaching in there, and it's always it's there. It's there. They just keep giving it, and it's still there. Their baskets are full. They keep reaching in. They keep thousands and thousands and thousands, at least fifteen thousand to twenty to twenty-five thousand, were there, and they started with five loaves and two fish. What a miracle! That's what Jesus does. He does amazing things. Fed the hungry multitude, and then you get this. They discovered after they fed everybody, their baskets were full. <laughs> Isn't that just like the Lord? They get to keep their own baskets. They got a basket of leftovers that was completely full. And uh, wow, if they could only go home and say, hey, look what I got today. <laughs> you never guess what happened. Onesiphorus, he's unashamed. The unashamed don't listen to the crowd. The world out there is saying, oh, you need to protect yourself. You Look out for number one. Right? Do they ever say that anymore? Um, don't do that. You'll only get hurt. It'll hurt you. You know what's going to happen? Selfless service is all based on conviction. And uh, that's what we've been talking about in, in Acts. Our study, in a Bible study. It's talking about being... There's a conviction one has and they go for it. They do it. Um, you, you are called to serve rather than to be called to be served. Do you see the difference? And that's why people get it so messed up. And so when people join a church, they expect to be served. And people should be serving them. But really, if people are expecting to serve, they don't have to worry about being served. God takes care of that. And if He does them in the way that you want, it's okay. See, but that goes against the, the opinion of, of the crowds. And that, you know, it's, it's not popular. It's not popular to uh, have a conviction that way. Selfless service also is convenient. It's convenient. Isn't it? No. <laughs> huh. A lot of times it's not convenient. Well, I'll serve whenever I'm good and ready and whenever it works out just right for me. That won't happen. <laughs> Never going to be absolutely convenient. There's always going to be things. Did you notice that? What did it say about 
Onesiphorus, whenever he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me. It was hard. It was hard to find where Paul was at. And he spent quite a bit of time. That was no small feat in those days to to do that and to get to Ephesus to Rome. Man, that wasn't too convenient at all. And Onesiphorus stayed with it, persisted until he found Paul. It's not convenient. So we have to fight against selfishness. Did you know that? You say, oh man, I don't know if I could do that. Well, yeah. Everybody has to fight the selfishness thing because it says forget yourself. Take up that cross. Follow me. That's what Christianity is. It's quite a cost. And I know what we're talking about today, we won't have anybody here next week. (laughs) This is hard stuff, isn't it? Is it hard? I couldn't skip this passage. It'd been a lot easier to read into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, because that's what I was thinking about doing and just skipping over those other verses. But I don't think you guys would have let me do that, right? So, what about those verses there, 15 through 18, 17, 18? It's hard. It's not convenient. Selfless service. Matter of fact, it wasn't convenient for the family. Onesiphorus had to leave. Guess what? The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. The family of Onesiphorus. Grant mercy to them. Not just Onesiphorus. Uh, There's a family. There's a household. They paid the price by letting him go because, hey, Dad is going to be gone for quite some time. It's a long trip. And matter of fact, he served Timothy or Paul for who knows how long he often refreshed me. Maybe there have been other times, but he's doing it here. And so, even the trip back, it's going to take some time. It's going to be really hard for the family. But we want to focus on the family, but at the same time, we have to keep a balance either way. Some people can be all family and and no ministry to the outside. But you can do the other way too. You can be um, all serving and forget the family. And that doesn't work because that's not what God has called us to either. There's a fine line and, a, and a, quite a balance there. And Edith and Francis Schaefer really had that worked out because they had a place called Labrie in Switzerland and people would come to that. that they, college students would flock to that place and they would come. They'd show up any time of the day or the night. They'd come out, show up at 2 o'clock in the morning and be wanting to talk over some things, serious things. And uh, they would let them come in. They were always welcome at any hour. But Edith Schaefer said, the family is like a door with hinges and a lock. The hinges are for letting people come in. But the lock is also for the times whenever the family has to be refreshed to do the ministry. And so there's that, that balance. Lastly, the unashamed will be rewarded. We've been speaking all these things that sound so negative, and yet at the end, we have to realize that there's a reward. That day, the Lord grant to him, in verse 18, to find mercy from the Lord on that day, the day when he comes back. He says, you know all the service that he's done. There's going to be a reward. We all need mercy. We all need mercy. Paul in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. 
they shall receive mercy. We all deserve God's judgment. Really. But we cast ourselves totally upon His mercy. And we, we do that's involved with salvation, but the, the mercy that would be on them as far as rewards are concerned, whenever they're handed out in eternity, don't you want the best what the Lord has planned for you that He's given you as a ministry here and based upon what how you serve Him on that ministry here is how you're going to be rewarded? The world may think you're stupid to sacrifice your life here on earth being a servant to somebody who doesn't deserve service for others. The church may forget to recognize you whenever it's time to get an award at a banquet. But the Lord doesn't forget. We need to be encouraging others that have the gifts and say, hey, I thank the Lord that you have that and thank you that uh, for being able to serve in what you did. And he said, well, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, what, what you did with, with them. How you, where you might have said a word or something. But, but it does, ultimately it comes down to the fact that the Lord will reward you with exactly, perfectly, what we have done for Him, for His glory. And Paul prayed that the mercy would be on that day, that they'd be richly rewarded because of the service that had been given to Him. And so we close this out. We we have exposition of Scripture and then we have application. We've seen all sorts of application in here today. I think I've got it up there on the screen and and there's one passage I want to go to. The way you live your Christian life identifies with a whole wide group of people who choose to live that way. Which one of the two groups do you choose to be with, right? Who are you going to serve, right? So you want to be among the courageous (laughs) or do you want to be among the cowards? That's really what... Paul is saying to Timothy, and we turn to Second Chronicles and we end with this. Second Chronicles chapter thirty two, verse seven and eight. Chronicles is after the Kings. Near the end of the Chronicles. Seven and eight. Matter of fact, start in verse seven. Be strong and courageous. Says it, doesn't it? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria. I mean, this was a power here. Nor because of all the horde that is with them, with him, for the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be ashamed. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It speaks volumes. As I've been dealing with this passage all week, Lord. May it make me stronger in You. Make it, may it make all of us stronger that as we look at the example of Onesiphorus, the example of Paul, and of course the example of Timothy, who was one who 
was became even more faithful. Help us be true to Your Word, true to your Christ, and true to the rest of the body of Christ, and true to the lost world. In Your Son's name, for this strength we pray. Amen. We look at Christ here for uh, our communion. We look at Christ. The body, the blood, broken, poured out for us. We share this in this body. This this is let me get my key. I don't have a guitar, guys, and this is different. And I can't get it. This is the blood broken and poured for all.
The Lord Jesus gave His life as a ransom. Amen. Father, what a glorious God You are. Providing a way. Giving us mercy and giving us grace. Because of Your love for us. Unexplained. But You brought us in. Brought us into your family and took us out from the lost world that was there. And we demonstrate the fact of what you have done by taking these elements and being able to be one with you and then one with your body as we congregate here, as we meet here, being like minded on behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ gave his life. Paul gave his life. The apostles gave their lives. The church continued to give their lives all the way through church history and here we are today. And may we be advancing the kingdom and telling this great story of your death and burial and resurrection and the hope of new life that people can have in a lost, sinful, depraved, wicked world. Thank you for the joy that you give us in being a part of your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take eat. This is my body. Take the cup. Drink it. That ministry is called Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Dealing with uh, eldership, making uh, the elders in that area, um, giving them a um, an education that would be on the par of uh, seminary. We'll just pass it around and we'll close. Well, that's being passed around. Let's see. Uh, if you're wondering about um, the Whitsons, they need to be prayed for because they're still battling sickness. We, we saw them yesterday at their new house. It's really great. 
nice place uh, the Lord has blessed them with. And um, But uh, Rebecca was getting ready to come at least with Aurora, and then Aurora was red-faced, and she took, uh, I guess you got attention, she had a fever. Zach was sick all day yesterday, evidently there, and um, the kids were, but they hosted the people all day long. <laughs> Keep them in mind if you're wondering. Uh, Penny is in North Carolina visiting uh, her two boys, and uh, they just moved there recently, so she uh, was uh, able to see them. And, um, yeah, yeah, Jane Corey. Mm-hmm. Right. Luke, who has um, had some sickness, found out what the real reason is, and uh, he has ulcers. That's a serious thing because um, if you don't treat it right, it can, it can, and he's got some help from the doctor, and the diet is doing really good, but that can, uh, that can eat, uh, eat you up. So, gone, gone through quite an ordeal you have in the last year, so now that. <laughs> so, we pray for that. Um, I don't know if there's some other ones um, we should be mentioning. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty. I, I'm having a hard time today, but the preparation for the session is the other stuff. Where on that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll be thinking sometimes. Okay. Well, uh, why don't we um, why don't we close in prayer and uh, have a joyful day? Because it is a joyful day. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful sunshine, blue sky you've given us just an indication of uh, the kingdom that is to come. And one day, things will be set perfectly in, in all ways. In another sense, we live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, it's, it's hard to walk as a Christian. And we must rely upon your strength in everything. We pray for a blessing on each and every one here, for the strength that uh, we all need as we walk out of these safe doors into the world that confronts us. And, Father, we, um, we pray for the Whitsons and all the different kind of sicknesses, not real serious, the things that they have to battle with so much in that family. And we just pray, Lord, that um, they would uh, have a day where they would get over so much of these battles that they have to deal with, the kids just get it passed back and forth, and that they would be healthy. 
we also pray for um, Penny and her visit with her boys. And Lord, she has such a desire for them to um, seek you out with all the truths that they learned as a kid all the way up. And they know so many truths, but they will see their need for you. And uh, that they would be able to find a church. Um, that's what Penny said that she wants to do, is find a church for them to go to. You know, sometimes that's hard to do. Lord, uh, you, you have your people. Pray for Luke as uh, he recovers from um, so many different things and uh, another battle there with, uh, with his ulcers. And I just pray for uh, a recovery and that uh, he'd be able to function again like uh, he would like to, needs to. We pray for that ministry that uh, it would be touching many lives as a result of it. They would know you. And we just pray for, for everybody here, Lord, uh, uh, constant strengthening. Give us wisdom and give us the joy that we need. As you well do. Help us bear that fruit. I'm so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.